From his first job flipping burgers at McDonald's and delivering the Washington Post, Craig Willett counts only one and a half years of his adult life working for someone else. Welcome to the Biz Sherpa Podcast with your host, Craig Willett, founder of several multi-million dollar businesses and trusted advisor to other business owners. He's giving back to help business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs achieve fulfillment, enhance their lives, and create enduring wealth. The Biz Sherpa. This is Craig Willett, the Biz Sherpa. Welcome to our episode today. I'm grateful to welcome my friend McKay Johnson, who's an accomplished attorney, estate planning and tax. So we're in for a real treat to help us understand what type of entity business owners should try to pick early on, how to navigate the tax world, and also how to navigate the estate tax and estate planning and asset protection. As business owners, often you're faced with uh, liability that come from things that you didn't intentionally do. And there's insurance for that, but there's also ways to protect and shelter some of the hard-earned income that you've had. And McKay is an expert at that. So I'd like to welcome today McKay Johnson. Thank you. Glad to have you with us. McKay, I'd like to start out, we've known each other for over 30 years, yeah. so <laughs> I'd like to just start out with, maybe you can help us have a background for your expertise and who you are. You've sure. got extensive education and then, of course, experience. So maybe we start with what is your education and your degrees? Sure. I'm a graduate of Brigham Young University. I majored in journalism. It was a fast track to law school, you see. Oh, journalism. That's an interesting track. Yeah. yeah. What, why did you pick journalism? It, uh, it was a faster track, fewer required courses to get to graduation. <laughs> okay. And writing skills, you know, not a bad thing to take into law school uh, and to law. And then I went to the J. Reuben Clark Law School, also at BYU, for my Juris Doctorate degree. And immediately afterward, I went to New York University for an advanced law degree in taxation. And what was that like going to New York? like moving to a different country. <laughs> it was exciting. That's one of the premier law schools for the LLM or Masters of, of Law. That's right. It offers uh, quite a few different Master of Law or LLM degrees, but the largest class is in the taxation. And um, I... Among tax lawyers of my generation, uh, several of the professors that I had, you know, were then famous or still famous. And it was a real, real uh, adventure to be living in New York City with three small children, going to law school. Uh, we had adventures. We got to see uh, some of the good tourist things like the... Back then, this was so long ago that we actually got to climb up into the Statue of Liberty. Oh, wow. And look out. You know, on Ellis Island, we heard stories that were amazing. And, and uh, yeah, Suan got mugged once. Wow. Yeah. Oh, so, my goodness. Yeah, it was it So was it was New a big York. education. <laughs> yeah, big education all the way around, yeah. Well, it's interesting. So did you always know you wanted to go to law school? And where did this desire to be a lawyer come from? Oh, I think... 
early on, I was attracted to the um, the logic and the um, power of law to affect people, you know, to make a real difference. Um, but I came to law school late in my undergraduate degree, uh, you know, as I was pursuing my undergraduate degree. And um, it just opened up as the best career for me, for for my family goals and for, you know, a, a career where I could help people. And I like that because really when it comes down to it, when you're in the service business, it's really about making a difference in people's lives. And one of the reasons we're here with McKay today is he's made a big difference in our lives. You've heard my story about the financial crisis and the impact it had on us. And I said to Carol one day, you know, I said, we could lose everything. And she said, no, they can't take away our marriage and our family. But also behind it, we had been practicing some good asset protection and estate planning for a long time before that. And we're able to yeah. uh, get by with being able to preserve a fair amount of assets because of the handiwork of somebody like McKay, and in this case, McKay. So how did you, so you're in law school and law is so broad. There's so many different aspects of law. How did you end up deciding you wanted to get a master's in taxation? I mean, some people say that's such a boring area. <laughs> why the law? Why tax? Well, it's, it's an area that is more problem-solving, advanced problem-solving. I mean, just about everything a lawyer does is trying to solve a problem, you know, to fend off an attack or to... Uh, establish a, a claim or a beachhead somewhere, but in the transaction side of the law, as opposed to the litigation side of the law, you can uh, meet with a client or, or you start off with a chance to, you know, solve problems in advance or to uh, steer clear of the kinds of things that uh, litigation lawyers have to deal with, you know, the messes that have to be sorted out. So you really can make a difference for someone by... One, helping them know what kind of entity, but also how to hold your assets, where to store things, how to build a plan so that Uncle Sam gets his fair share, but not more than his fair share by right. accident, because if a right. well-thought-out plan should have predictable results. That's right. And so that's kind of plays into your strengths of right. strategy. Right. Great. Well, you know, one of the things that we're we're doing is having a series, a uh, three-part series on um, what type, how to start a business. And so one of the early questions that a business owner faces is, all right, of all the things out there, what kind of entity should I pick? Should I be a sole proprietor, a corporation? If I'm a corporation, do I, am I an S corporation? Or do I do a, I have a partner? Do I have a partnership or do I do an LLC? And so I've kind of enumerated those that are on a board that we've used in the series. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering, what do you, first off, what do you see as typical and what do you like to recommend early on? Okay, well, far above all, I mean, it's, a, it's an astonishing statistic the IRS will provide as to you know, different types of businesses and their corresponding tax returns. And so I like to speak in terms of what kind of tax return are you going to file? If okay. you're going to file... That's a good place to start. So Schedule C, RS Form 1040 Schedule C, is the business tax return for a sole proprietorship business. 
And by sole proprietorship, we mean there's only one and only one owner, and there is no entity involved. So it would yeah. be if I were starting a house painting business, Craig Willett House Painting mm-hmm. or ABC House Painting, right? And I just wanted to be a sole proprietor. I'd file on my tax return a certain schedule. You call it Schedule C, right. and that would show all my business operations and income to the IRS. Right, and it feeds into Schedule S C, where you pay self. We'll call them self-employment taxes. It's the combination of the Social Security tax and the Medicare tax. Okay. Now, the thing about a sole proprietorship is that, you know, once you get your business license, your local business license, you're good to go. You apply for a tax ID number for the business, EIN, employer identification number specifically. You set up with the state a account for payroll and for other, like if you're doing if sales. If you have employees, right. Yeah, yeah, and if you're doing sales and you have to have a sales tax account. And that's pretty, those are DIY pretty much in most states where you go online, they say, oh, you're going to be in business? Well, fill out this form and, you know, sign up. So it's the easiest, simplest, and fastest way. Oh, yeah. it's And it's and certainly the cheapest. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the um, you mentioned though that um, along with we've discussed right now uh, some businesses saddle the business owner with unlimited liability for the business hazards, risks, vicissitudes that can come up, and sole proprietorship is one of those. There is no entity to shield you. It is you. It's um, uh, in the Navy, I understand, they have a concept of, you know, the captain is responsible for everything that happens on his boat. I like that analogy. And uh, I remember a case where um, the, the Navy had issued charts and the charts were wrong and the ship hit a rock and the captain was relieved of command. It was impossible to foresee. It was not his fault, but he's relieved of command. And that's the way it has to be. Right. Or, yeah. And the other one, right, the captain always goes down with the ship. He should be the last <laughs> one off, right? That's right. Well, and that's because it's, uh, you know, he has personal liability for what happens. And the sole proprietorship is, is the most deep and dramatic in that regard. So have you seen any instances where, and and maybe not you because you don't do litigation, but you have seen clients or clients of a firm that you've worked for before that someone was a sole proprietor and there was an accident or a mishap Mm -hmm. and it caused uh, either death or substantial damages somewhere and that the claims for liability were way more than the assets the or, business or owner the insurance had. that might be involved. Well, well, Craig, see, they don't come to me <laughs> and and get advice that oh yeah, you should be fine as a sole proprietor, right? Right. They don't hear that from me, and so I don't see the the, the upfront and close the the disasters that happen. But but it's such a litigious world that you, you know, do you, do you drive a car, drive in a car without a seatbelt? Well, okay, you can. 
I'm not going to admit that on this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 like that only worse, right? Right. Would you would you go 90 miles an hour in a, a doorless Corvair? I don't. You know, there's a there was a car back when we were young that uh, had a little teeny engine and and one one edition had no doors on it. Wow. It was a disaster waiting to happen, right? <laughs> well, that's sole proprietorship. Okay. So maybe it's the simplest and easiest, and you're anxious to get in business, but right. you're saying, all right, hold up just a minute. Take a pause yeah. and think about some options. And so I think today we'd like to explore what some sure. of those options are. And so what are some options that you think well, uh, as business owners should consider, and, and under what scenarios should they consider? Well, the... The top favorite are limited liability company, followed by uh, corporations. And corporations have two flavors: the so-called C corporation and the so-called S corporation. These letters come from the Internal Revenue Code subchapters. So, title blah blah blah. Subchapter C is where all of the tax code on C corporations resides, and then subchapter S is where the you know, other kind of corporation tax code resides. So really, a corporation is a corporation is a corporation in some respects, right. except for an S and a C distinguish themselves as to how they're taxed. Exactly. And, and they file different tax returns. How they're taxed shows up on the different tax returns. Uh, corporations, IBM, Etc. They file form 1120, 1120. But when I was a, I had my own law corporation. It was a professional corporation that made the S election, as it's called. And so for many years, I myself was filing form 1120S. So let's talk about how do you make the S election and what does it in, involve? Is it complicated? Well, it can be tricky because every I get a daily news tax letter, and every week there's somebody getting private letter ruling relief because they botched their S election. <laughs> they forgot to do it or they didn't do it properly. Exactly, exactly. And so it's been good to see how often the service will be generous in its relief. But it's an expensive thing to get a private letter ruling. I've got to right. tell you, so it's a, breathtaking. So an ounce of prevention is <laughs> oh. worth a pound of cure. Yeah, and then some. And okay. then some. And so then, you recommend they go to someone, an attorney or an accountant, but certainly an attorney yeah. on the corporation, and then not just get a corporation, but also deal with the tax right. aspects of it. There's one thing to set up the corporation right. to get the liability protection. Right. And let's say that that's true, whether it's an LLC, a corporation, CRS, sometimes a limited partnership is appropriate and the best choice in that list. But those are the four big ones. But the ones that most people should consider examining first would be the limited liability company followed by S Corporation. Okay. okay. Now, in what we need is something that is a legally recognized entity apart and separate from the people. Okay. So in my case, as a 
sole shareholder S-corporation case, it was really important to go to the uh, state law that says, in our state, if you want a corporation, this is what you will do. You will file articles of incorporation. These articles of incorporation will contain a checklist of required minimum data. And you go on to say, what else do you need to have a corporation? So it's like getting permission from the state. If you do these things, we will recognize that. That's right. And not you as the, we'll recognize you as a shareholder, but not the business owner when it comes to liability. Right. And it's the same for a limited liability company. They were first introduced in Wyoming, I believe, in 1995. Oh, a long time ago, yeah, 1997 so ago. for Utah. Right. And uh, pretty sure all 50 states now have some statute that says you have a choice. You can have a corporation, you can have a partnership, and there's a long list of other obscure business entities that we will pass on. But in our state, if you want a limited liability company, here's the checklist. In Utah, it's called Article, I mean, uh, Certificate of Organization. It has to be created just so, it has to be filed with the state. In Utah, there's a companion document called Statement of Authority. It has to contain specific information about who's in charge, who has the power to sign and bind on behalf of the company. Including opening bank accounts. Exactly. Signing loan documents. That's right. Buying assets. Right. The goal seems... Selling assets. Yeah, exactly. The goal seems to be to create a public online record that the company exists. Is it active, sometimes States will call it good standing. Utah just says active, expired, or terminated. Active, delinquent, expired, or terminated. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know? Terminated. That and, doesn't sound very good. Right, yeah. So they'll say, yeah, yeah, Craig set up a business back in 1992, but he failed to file his renewal paperwork. So this it's more than just, yeah. if you're a sole proprietor, once you're set up, you just keep going on. But if you're a corporation or an LLC, there's some annual Absolutely. work you have to do besides file a tax return to stay recognized as a separate entity. That's right. And uh, corporations are especially hazardous, so to speak, if you fall asleep at the annual renewal switch. Oh, okay. I fall asleep in the annual meetings. <laughs> <laughs> well, every year, every state says, you got to renew with us. You got to pay some fee for the privilege of having active status for your entity. Okay. And if you fall out of compliance... Yeah, um, what are the ramifications for that? that yeah, well, and, and in corporations, they're, they're really drastic because you are at risk of having dissolved your corporation, a de facto... And so what does that mean to me as a business owner? I let it go. I have my house painting business, mm -hmm. and I forget to file. I'm too busy taking mm -hmm. on contracts and hiring people that I ignore yeah. the mail from the state, and I don't renew that. Right. But I have... I'm painting a freeway overpass, and my scaffolding collapses on a car. Right. I have an employee injured, but I had failed to renew my corporate documents, and I've been dissolved. Where, where does the liability go? Well, that? it goes back to the sole proprietorship. See, if, if you were a sole shareholder corporation or a single-member limited liability company, you see the syntax shift there. Right. In corporations, we say stockholder, 
in limited liability companies, we say member. member. Okay. okay. And they're the same owner, investor, stakeholder. It's just that the law has really preferred a, a uh, verticalization of syntax, as you might say, in, in how you describe the things that happen in a company. Right. So maybe I have insurance for that accident. Right. And now I'm the sole shareholder or the sole member. Now I'm all of a sudden I've got insurance. Maybe it pays as much as it can, but the claim or the award for judgment comes higher than that. What right. happens to me? Right. If your corporation or your LLC fell out of compliance for failure to renew, it's a very common thing. Now the plaintiff's attorney says, <laughs> they, uh, they don't get the benefit of the entity, do they? They don't have an entity, so I don't do they? I don't get that extra <laughs> layer of protection because I f didn't take the time to That's file right. some forms and pay a fee. That's right. Um, for people that are like Star Trek fans, you know, you have a force shield. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so your, your compliance with state law to keep your entity active and in good standing is the force shield that keeps you from devolving into sole proprietorship. You've got to feed the force shield. You've got to give it energy. And that energy starts with annual renewal. And beyond that, the keyword, and again, this is for all types of entities, but the keyword is respect. Um, when you have an entity that's good with the state, that's just the tip of the iceberg of the question. The real questions devolve in or focus revolve around what did you do and how did you interact with your company? Did you treat it as an alter ego? Is it your hip pocket, so to speak? Right. You set up the entity, but you used your personal checking account to run your business out of. Or you used your business account to pay your personal expenses. Oh, okay. Right. And even if you account for it in terms of, well, that wasn't deductible because it was personal dry cleaning. Now, a lot of sole proprietors don't actually rise to that level of conscientiousness. Right. <laughs> but, but the liability uh, analysis is almost always fatal. So it's important to not only set up a re an entity that's recognized by the state and keep it active, but it's also important to operate your accounting records in such a manner that you pay business expenses through the business account yeah. and you keep your personal expenses separate. That's right. If, and if, that will shield, well, should shield you from a lot of potential liability down the road. Right. And it's that good behavior, that re, re, behavior of respect that feeds energy to the force shield. Okay. So you really like an LLC. Mm -hmm. And you seem to almost favor it in what you said over the corporation. Why do you like the LLC, perhaps in many instances, better than a corporation? Let's just say it has the best tax return. And over the life of the entity, it'll be more friendly to you know the tax events in the future will always, almost always be more friendly. So maybe we can enumerate a few sure. of those. So what are some income tax benefits over a corporation, sure. both S and C for an LLC? Okay. Well, let's start with the C corporation, right? The, the 
under current law, there's something like 21% federal tax rate on corporate taxable income. But here it's a separate entity, and the corporation writes the check that pays those taxes. And now, after-tax profits are sitting in the corporation waiting for something to happen. Reinvestment in expansion, pay bonuses, uh, accumulate and uh, build up inventory or, or other ways of expanding your, your business. Um, and, and or that, pay shareholders a dividend. Well, yeah. So those are the choices. You know, plow it back into the business or now pay a dividend to shareholders. And shareholders, when they get C-corporation dividends, pay taxes on them again. And so the big thing so about that's the C- old double taxation. Exactly. It's a rare case where double taxation turns out to be attractive. And does, does let that sink in? You know, you know, taxation with representation isn't all that hot, we found out. <laughs> right. And double taxation is a real head scratcher in terms of, tell me again why this is a good thing to do. Now, right. so in, in your instance, let's say the shareholders in the highest tax bracket, you pay twenty one percent federal tax, and now what is thirty nine? Yeah, it's just round up to forty. Forty percent tax rate. Right. So but, essentially, but, those profits can be taxed up to. But the dividends will almost always qualify as dividends, subject to the capital gains rate of twenty percent. Oh, okay. So a lot of a lot of times, it, so that's it, a forty percent. So it's not a killer. Well, but see, if you had a pass through, what we've been skirting around is C corporations have double taxation. Uh, everything else that we've talked about has pass through taxation, meaning there isn't a tax burden imposed on the entity per se. Right. So an S corporation doesn't in most cases, doesn't have its own tax. Right. It doesn't write a check to the IRS. Instead, it hands off the infamous Schedule K-1 to the owner of the business. So whether there's 100 owners or one owner of an LLC, well, I misspoke, of a corporation, an S corporation, the Schedule K-1 says, corporation is not going to pay these taxes, you get to pay taxes, and this so, is your so share. So all of the income, whether it's reinvested or not, gets taxed. Right. Yeah, the taxable income is passed through. The mechanism or the delivery card is Schedule K-1. And that's not taxed at the capital gains rate. That's taxed at the ordinary income tax rate, right? The higher rate. For the business, right. For the business. Now, if it comes to pass that your pass-through entity has some capital gains— then they will pass through separately, right? And and you can report them on Schedule D and pay capital gains tax rates, right? But what would be a distribution or under a C corporation, a dividend under an S gets taxed? Well, not as a not as capital gain, right? It's ordinary income. And here we here I like to make this distinction. I don't know if it's helpful, but. It helps me. Okay. Uh, in pass-through entities, the tax burden is mandatory and always passes through. The tax burden passes through. The after-expense profits may or may not 
pass through. Okay. When they do in a pass-through entity, they're not separately taxed. Right. So let's say your business has $100,000 of taxable profits. Whether or not it distributes a penny to you, you're going to pick up $100,000 of taxable income, and you've got to come up with the tax burden personally out of some bucket, right. maybe other than the company itself. So let's say I had an $80,000 salary, and I decided to take a distribution of 10000 of that $100,000. I have my tax liability on my wages plus ten thousand, but I paid tax at the corporate level on a hundred thousand. Well, well, there's it, still it, ninety I can take someday and not have to pay the tax. Right, on. right. But in that future day, yes, it will be taxed later. So the case for a C corporation often focuses on: Do we know for sure two things? Do we know for sure that we'll need outside investors? who themselves reject or avoid pass-through taxation structures? Or do we know for sure that when we get this business at its peak, we're going to be able to sell stock rather than sell assets? Right, so that's where we're looking at. A C corporation may suit someone well if that's they, right. they want to go public or get a fair number of shareholder investors. Right. And, you know, some venture capitalists always uh, engineer their business plan toward preferred stock, debt, and preferred stock. And so if they're going to invest in your company, they will insist that it be be or become a C corporation. Right. So that's an area where you would want to consider it. Right. But it's other than the tax reason to consider it. Exactly. Exactly. So back to the... But but no, but the tax reason does come out because now that we are for good reasons a C-corporation, we enjoy that very uh, example of tax savings that you just illustrated, where the corporation pays taxes, reinvests the rest, and I only have to pay taxes on on the dividends at dividend tax rates and my wages, which I was going to have to pay taxes on anyway. Okay. Great. So then back to the advantages of the LLC mm-hmm. over even an S-corporation. What okay. What so, do you like about the LLC? We talked about the S-corporation, the shareholder mm-hmm. or shareholders pay tax on their Passive. ownership, their, their percentages of the income right. of all types, yeah. interest, dividends, capital gains, and ordinary income. Yeah. All mm-hmm. right. And what happens in an LLC? Well, and why is it different? Is it different? And okay. At first blush, uh, an LLC and an S corporation are very similar, like I say, at first blush, because they are both pass-through tax, pass-through entities. But the LLC is more friendly to the startup entrepreneur on several points. First of all, um, a lot of startup companies don't have profits from the get-go. And if and to finance or to cover those losses, early years losses, the entrepreneur is putting in his own money, her money, or borrowing for it. Now, the tax law says if you get losses from your pass-through entity, you may or may not be able to take those losses on your personal tax return. And in order to have the uh, business debt 
count in a way that supports those tax losses, you would prefer the LLC every time. Okay. So if you're really going to leverage through bank financing your yeah. initial years of your operation, then you're suggesting an LLC mm-hmm. will help you because you want to be able to take those losses against any other income you have or have those to carry right. forward. Right. Okay. And here, here's a more Or simple. carry back to get refunds from previous years. Exactly. And it helps finance your right. living expenses or your operations. So in a typical, you know, A versus B situation, if the business owner borrows, has the entity borrow debt, you know, borrow funds, and the bank says, all right, we'll lend it to your entity, but you have to personally guarantee it, right? So there is business debt. It supports the loss deductions. But in an S corporation, being the guarantor of corporate debt doesn't give you the basis the ability to take the, the ability loss to take deduction. the losses on your personal tax return, but being the guarantor of entity debt when it's an LLC is exactly the opposite. The guarantee, the LLC rules, which are partnership tax rules, allow you to uh, pretend or as if you had borrowed the money personally and personally contributed it. Okay. So the S corporation, in some ways, is is it even more distinct and separate from the person than, uh, the, than the LLC? Right. So C-corporations get taxed under the tax code related to C-corporations. Right. S, under the tax code for S. LLCs, you mentioned partnership. Right. But there's other types of partnerships. I hear a lot of people say when they start a business, well, I have a partner. Yeah. And, and so then they just form a partnership Mm-hmm. and start doing that. So we talked about a sole proprietor. Do you ever see people come in and say, hey, we're partners and we're yeah. splitting the income? Right. What does that look like? And how do you recommend people that are partners mm-hmm. to get together and do business? <laughs> okay. Um, in, this, in this case, two heads are not better than one. Okay. It, yeah, a sole proprietor has all of the liability and virtually no opportunity for tax planning above and beyond you know, my investment, I can deduct it because I'm at risk on it. Right. If you have two people that don't have an entity, it's like two proprietors in the same little boat, and all of the bad about sole proprietorship is still there. We, so, we call this a so you general really, partnership. So, so any one partner can take on the liability. Right. More than 50%. If they're 50, 50 <laughs> partners, he can take on 100% of the exactly. liability. That's right. So let's back up. So, we, so like I said, um, what tax return are we talking about, right? And if we're talking about limited liability companies and all types of partnerships, we're talking, it's IRS Form 1065. And 1065 includes Schedule K-1 going to all of the partners or participants. And yes, in a general partnership, um, we now have general authority each general partner has general authority to act on behalf of the business and can contract debts without the knowledge of the other partner, right? Wow. And That's pretty scary. So it sounds to me like you're <laughs> yeah. kind of telling me <laughs> oh, yeah. this is kind of like sole, sole proprietorship, don't do it, and general partnership, steer away. So what do you recommend in that case 
where they're partners. We've kind of established that it's right. probably not good from a liability, just right. from a personal liability standpoint. So what do you recommend? And well, how- so the limited liability company was invented to give the best tax business features. Right. So your members, in, in the loose right. term, you're still partners, but then right. you spell out the protections, you spell right. out who can do what, like you said. That's so right. your partner can't obligate, your other member can't necessarily obligate you personally. Right. And that liability can't necessarily spill over in most instances outside the entity to you. That's right. So um, put it this way, what we really like about corporations is the limited liability shield. No individual stockholder in a corporation has personal liability for what happens on the inside of the business, okay? If you have personal guarantees, well, that's your fault or that's your necessity. Right, so the bank, if I'm a corporation, and the bank says, look, we'll make the loan to your corporation, but we want you to sign a personal guarantee, meaning if for some reason the corporation doesn't pay, then we want to be able to go after right. you or we'll, we'll, we'll go after you or we'll look to you to satisfy this right. obligation from right. your own assets outside of the business. Right, and that's an example where by contract we step away from or, or make a crack in the, sh- in the force shield where personal liability will attach. But, but only in certain contractual instances. Yeah, it's by contract, right. right. Now... Such as a bank loan, right? Like we're talking. Uh, another area to think about is if you are like in a profession, the corporation shield will not protect you from your own personal malpractice. Okay, but it will protect you from your partner's malpractice. Oh, okay. So, so huge reason to think, solve problems in advance, anticipate where. Things could go wrong. So and, this is a lot more than yeah. just, hey, what, what, how am I going to pay taxes? What's the easiest way? Mm-hmm. It's really thinking through what are the potential liabilities I'm taking on. And as businesses grow, people may take on partners. And so sometimes it's time to go from mm-hmm. one type of entity to another or right. to add layers of sophistication within the underlying corporate documents. You may have to amend to allow for new Mm -hmm. instances. Exactly so. Um, One thing I mentioned earlier that in the life cycle of of a business, um, the partnership or the 1065 status is more friendly. And here's a good example. How many businesses um, wake up to the idea that they want to give sweat equity to their key employees. So let me just say, back up. One stock of, options. Yeah, stock options or participating or partnership or stock, actual stock itself. One of the biggest mistakes I see is that the entrepreneur, the genius go-getter makes this promise and then sits on it for a couple of years. And I've the, seen that a lot. Yeah, and the I... longer you go, the harder it is to deliver on the promise. It is devastating to come back and say, and to realize if I had kept that promise back when we were just starting to make profit, oh, how much friendlier and easier it would have been to deliver on the promise. Now that we have a mega million dollar business, there's it's, a lot it, of tax implications. The tax that. implications make it very hard to keep your promise. So 
that's all part of the planning. If if yeah. you intend to do that, you need to start designing these elements in early on in a, right. in a rudimentary way, not right. necessarily expensive and way because the expense really comes later, not just in setting up the structure, but right. the tax complications really right. make it difficult. Okay, that's good advice. And, and here's, here's a specific example. You could start out as a single member limited liability company. For my painting business. Right. Okay. And it would have a layer of liability protection, very strong, very helpful, and on top of the insurance you were going to want to carry anyway. Okay. And then you say, you know, that foreman really ought to be a partner. Now you can bring that foreman in any two or three different ways in an LLC, but there's only one way in an S corporation. And whatever the value of the stock that you give to a key employee, that becomes taxable income to that person. Oh. And it's... It's a but kind of a slap in the face, right? Right. It's like, okay, I can make you a partner, but you're going to pay tax to become a partner. Yeah, there goes your vacation fund. You cool with this? <laughs> is your okay. family cool with this? <laughs> so the LLC is more friendly because there's some mechanisms right. in there as to the types of ways you right. can give ownership. Right. Sometimes it's, Flexible. Called, sometimes it's called carry interest. Sometimes it's called a profits-only interest. But the IRS has given us revenue procedures, rulings, and guidance that say, if you give stock, you will give taxable income. End of story. If you give a profits-only interest in your company, you know, 3% of all future profits, and if you do it right, granting that 3% of future profits, let's say it's Class B profits units in the LLC, is a zero taxable event to the service provider, to the foreman. To the foreman in, that in I our, want to promote or make right. a partner. Right. So, he, so it sounds like a great way. Then that's right. he's not looking at me like, okay, thanks. Now I have to pay tax. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Give me some money right. <laughs> so to pay it. it. It's super friendly to, to fulfill its promise. And okay. so if you, if you go down the S corporation route, promising, promising, and then you say, oh, shoot, I wish I had it done a profits-only interest. So I've had clients that have converted their S-corporations into LLCs in order to deliver on this promise of, I'm going to bring you into the business, but it won't cost you an arm and a leg in personal taxes. So I like that. So, yeah. And that was one of the things I wanted to make sure we talked about today, and that is as you develop sophistication or your goals and objectives change from what you Mm -hmm. envision to begin with, because a lot of times entrepreneurs, we're anxious to get started. We just want to get our business going. Right. And we want to be guided on some things, but we don't know what the future holds. Right. So there is, I'm, I'm not married to right. my initial entity, well, other than you're telling me, just don't do sole proprietorship. Outside of that, pick something else, and then at least we can deal with, you're right. still shielded from the liability, and we can be flexible and make some, some changes. Right. Right. But... And more the ultimate fle flexibility is LLC, so start with the one that's most flexible. Exactly so. That's the hands-down default for almost any uh, start starting Even a business. Even if in year two or three I envision needing venture capital, I can still go from an LLC to the entity preference that, right. Right. that maybe a venture capital firm that's going to fund mm -hmm. the next leg of growth for my business will right. allow me to do it. So I'm not putting myself in a coffin and saying, I've created a big problem. That's here. right. Well, 
and and to to flesh that point out, uh, an LLC, whether it's got one member or ten members to start with, can convert into a corporation with no tax consequences. It's a tax-free conversion to go from LLC to corporation. But how about the reverse? The reverse is always a taxable event. Remember earlier on we said if you have a, you fall out of compliance and you're at risk of being uh, treated as a dissolved corporation, that means your assets left the corporate books and were put into your personal hands. Wow. And the tax code is brutal in saying from corporation to people is a taxable event. Wow. If the corporation so inadvertently, you could be taking on a tax liability. Double tax liability. Wow. In a senior corporation. Even in an S corporation, you wouldn't want to trigger a taxable event by uh, having all of the assets treated as sold wow. and then treated as distributed to you. And you've convinced me that start out <laughs> as an LLC, and if you don't want to pay a lot of money to someone to really help you, at least get started Right, right, rudimentarily correct. Yeah. And then you can add on the complexity and the flexibility exactly. that you need to as you go. I like that because yeah. there's so many traps that yeah. that someone who doesn't have a degree like you do can understand. And even some accountants that you may hire, nothing against accountants. I've practiced as a CPA for a long time. I still hired McKay because <laughs> even though I have a master's degree in taxation, accounting taxation, I have nowhere near the level of sophistication that he has, and his expertise and someone like him can be very valuable as you get into more formative years in your business. And that's where I kind of want to go next and talk a little bit about, gee, you know, I start this business and it's good, but it becomes really good. And it gets to be big and it's the major asset I have. It paid the equity in my home is nothing compared to the value of my business, say. What, what am I faced with there? What kind of family consequences um, mm-hmm. uh, have you run into through the years where you see all of a sudden the business, the family business became the major asset in multiples? Right. And now they're faced with other things to deal with, such as estate tax. Um, how, do you, how do you pass it to your children without Uncle Sam taking his right. 30 or 40%? Right. Well, there are, there are two problems that grow with the success of the business. Problem number one is um, you're creating a larger and larger inheritance for the IRS. That doesn't sound like fun. No. <laughs> and problem number two is um, you may have done nothing to protect your net worth, your personal net worth, as reflected in the value of the business. Um, I like the the paradigm of inside liabilities. So keep those in the business. Which are, which are like uh, a fuse box, you know. The hazards, the risks, you know, employee disputes, you know, delivery boy running over a brain surgeon in a crosswalk, whatever. Those are all going to be insulated. You're going to insulate yourself from those things by having a good corporate Entity or an LLC right. entity. Right. You respect its structure, you respect the formalities, you feed the force shield, 
and it protects you from the things that happen on the inside of the box. Okay. What's outside of the box is your ownership in the company, membership interest in an LLC. I like to say units of membership interest in a lot of cases or stock in a corporation. Now, that's an asset. It's your personal, that's what you own. You don't own the assets of the business. You right. own. I have the stock or membership interest. Yeah, in. you own that piece of paper that says you own the business. So my business has grown to be a $20 million. My right. stock that I have is worth $20 million, let's say. Right. And the corporation protects you from inside liabilities, does not, or the LLC, same difference, no protection for the outside liabilities. So let's say one of my children t goes on a joyride in one of my cars and yeah. is a minor yeah. and causes a, a major <laughs> fatality. Yeah. I could, I could not only have my insurance cover as much as I can an umbrella, but let's say the claim is $10 million when I'm only insured for two. Right. I right. have an $8 million liability. And a $20 million business. Yeah. And my home equity is 100000 So, So plaintiff's what? lawyer says, I see low-hanging fruit here. I can get a writ of attachment and get your stock. Uh-oh. Or get your membership interest. That's not what I intended. Well, well stock in a corporation. Right. Or I can get a foreclosure, a judicial foreclosure, on a lien and foreclosure on your home equity. Wow. Well, if my home equity is only 100000 it seems like they'll want my stock if it's worth $20 million. Well, especially since if you say, oh, my goodness, I can't let them be the takeover owner here. They'll fire me. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. So, so, so now I basically lose my business and my ability to generate income. Right. Well, it's a serious problem, right? Because, like we said, nothing about the LLC shield, nothing about the corporate shield, protects the thing that's in your personal balance sheet. Right. So, right. So, personal liabilities they've taken on are, aren't shielded by that. So, how do I, what do I do with my stock? I mean, how do right. I keep it from being. For well, something like that, you know, it wasn't something necessarily intentional, mm -hmm. and I had insurance, but what if it goes above and beyond? Right. Are there ways that I can protect right. my nest egg, which is this business that I've built? Because I think at the end of the day, that's really what most business owners, as right. I've dealt with them through the years, uh, the people I associate with and people I've advised through the years, end up with their yeah. major asset being their business. So how do right. I keep it from being subject to being lost? Well, so we said there were two problems, you know, the IRS and the outside or personal uh, hazards, you know, litigation claims. Um, in the law, there's contract claims and then there's tort claims, T-O-R-T. It's an old French word. I don't know why we use it, but it means all kinds of, claims based on something other than contract, typically some kind of injury case. Um, you know, lawsuits that involve automobiles are always tort cases. Now, the great secret, which is often hard to swallow, is protection through giving it away. But you don't want to give it away to the IRS. No, no. You give it away to trusts that 
create a separation of ownership or separation of personality. Just like so the, we're really talking about yeah. not only so we've talked earlier about lab, tax minimization. We've talked right. about legal liability protection for the operations of the business. Now right. we're talking about ways to right. shield ourselves personally as mm-hmm. business owners with the wealth that maybe we've created in the value of the exactly. asset of the business that we hold outside. Right. And so now you're saying give it away, and this is more asset protection, I put it in a trust. Right. And, and why and, a trust and how? what is a trust? Okay. Well, a trust is inv- invented by the English common law hundreds of years ago on the concept of we can separate the elements of ownership. Okay. Elements of ownership are legal title, the so the stock certificate, certificate has my name. I right. can say, hey, I'm putting it in this trust. Right. They own That trust owns it. Right. So in a trust, legal title goes to the trustee. And beneficial title or beneficial ownership goes to whoever the beneficiaries are. So in a trust, you have a couple different players. Right. One is a trustee. Right. And we'll talk about what they do, and the other are the people who benefit from right. the asset that's held there. Right. And so when we did some trusts for you, you were the settlor or the trustor, he or she who creates the trust. So I put some of my painting business stock that's now worth $20 million. Right. I put a portion of it in trust right. to benefit my children someday. Right. But... Now I have to put somebody in as trustee to vote my stock and to hold it and protect it. Right. And that's assuming it was voting stock in the first place. Okay. Both in LLCs and in corporations, you can have voting and non-voting. Okay. Even an S-corporation can have non-voting stock. So I can keep control of my oh, business yeah. by owning a small portion, but put a majority of it non-voting right. in a trust so that they can't kick me out. I right. can still control my business. Right. So a... Case history, case story. So we represented an entrepreneur who had built up a business and it sold for something like $600, $700 million. It was a close sale business, right? Because it's not listed on a public exchange. Right. So the sales proceeds were going to be invested in a new business, a new line of business. And... And the funding capital was in like a $30 million, you know, relatively small percentage. (laughs) But it was a big starting capital. They had a lot of equipment to buy, a lot of inventory Right, imagine starting a business with $30 million. That's still, that's a substantial investment. Right. So you're saying the rest of the $700 million was going somewhere else. Yeah, other places. Um, But for this case, we said, all right, you're confident that this business is going to maybe quadruple in value over the next five years, right? So what are we doing? Are we building this business just to be death taxed later? How about we do something else? How about we put voting and non-voting units into this business? It was an LLC. And we'll give 45% of the company in the form of non-voting units to Sun A, who's going to be one of your key players in the business, 
and the other and another 45% to the other son, also a key player in the business, so that um, what you're keeping is 10%. And it's and all of that 10% is voting. Now, not just give it to the, you know, we don't want to give away 15 million or 90% of $30 million. That's a huge gift tax right. problem. And back when we were doing it, the gift tax exemption amount was five thousand five million dollars. And so if right. we had done just a straight So the thirteen outrage, and a half million each one of them got in value of stock, they there would have been tax on eight and a half million over the yeah. the, the, the amount that exceeded five million. Right. Yeah. Pretty much a forty percent tax rate. Wow. So we So you'd have to give a lot more than thirty million. You'd be eating up a lot. Of right. So what we what we recommended, what they implemented was a an irrevocable trust called a grantor retained annuity t- trust. Let me say that again. Grantor, grantor or settlor, trustor. Right, meaning the person putting the asset right. in. So dad is the grantor, settlor, He's creator of the trust. He's retaining an annuity, so I'm going to get some stream of payment. That's right. Grantor retained annuity. So for 10 years, this trust is going to pay X amount per year back to dad. And the way the trust is going to get that money with which to make these payments is through the profit distributions that the underlying business company is producing. Oh. So he keeps pretty much, you know, for, it's a 10-year keeper plan. Now, the way the IRS values this kind of gift, where I make a gift, but I've retained a valuable right to receive income you know, X number of dollars every year for 10 years. Diminishes the value of what you're giving away. Yeah. In the initial 10 years. It was a zero gift. Wow. So what you're saying is (laughs) there are many ways to do this, but as you get more value, you need to get somebody expert in estate and asset protection planning to find the least taxable, taxable way to get assets out of your estate, but still maintain certain controls of the business while sheltering the potential ability Mm -hmm. to lose the entire business should something happen in your personal life that was unexpected. Right. Other than fraud, that's usually ignored in the case of fraud. They'll come undo everything. Yeah, criminal behavior, fraudulent behavior, you know, corporate law won't protect you. Right. That's silly. I mean, right. So we're not looking at that. We're not saying, hey, we're going <laughs> to right. put all of our assets here so we can go commit crime. <laughs> we're saying we're putting our assets here to be safe because right. something may happen that we can't foresee. Right. So this grantor retained annuity trust is primarily of interest for saving estate taxes. But a very close companion reason is the, is the asset protection that comes with. Because now you've made a gift for state law purposes. Dad doesn't own that 90%. He just doesn't own it anymore. And what you don't own can't be taken away from you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, the trust says no matter... You know, after 10 years, the ask, the 45% stands for the, it's in trust for the benefit of the first son. We'll call him Abel. Abel and Bob. Okay. <laughs> okay. A and B. Son A, son B, right. So both trusts say the same thing, that this trust is for the benefit of son, 
But it's not his in the sense of creditor's estate. It's his for beneficial enjoyment for the rest of his life. Right, so there's a trustee that determines when when and what he gets out of that trust. And the trustee is family-friendly, picked, hand-picked for the job. It's You have to have a degree of trust, but the insulation is just overwhelming. It's out of dad's taxable estate. It's out of son's taxable estate. It's out of son's creditor's estate. Great. And I think these are great concepts. Now, to bring it back to realistic situation, I'm a business owner, and I'm starting (laughs) out. How much of this can I swallow at once? And and some of this sounds sophisticated and more costly and is tackled when those happen. But what can I do in the early stages? I can form an LLC and hire someone like you. What... Uh, not to give away your billing rates, but typically what would a lawyer charge to help someone set up an LLC? Right. Well, if it's a single-member LLC where there's only one person and no adverse parties, that's a few hundred dollars, six, seven hundred, maybe a thousand dollars. So a lot of benefit for very little cost. Right. And Let's say I have a partner, though. Right. And now you have a situation where in the development of the operating agreement. A limited liability company's constitution is called the operating agreement. And this is where you say, who's the manager? How do we pick managers if somebody resigns? What are their transfer restrictions on units? You know, How much can they be compensated? How is that determined? Yes, exactly. You know, A lot of the crucial elements of the business plan need to be embedded in the operating agreement. So a little more sophisticated than I'm just setting one up for me. I can make the rules up as I go. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So that, you know, you're going to double or triple. And and it's just so much preventative medicine. Right, and I would say, you know, I would recommend that because you want to get that spelled out. You want to, especially if you're dealing with someone else, people's ideas change, their objectives in life mm-hmm. change over the years, and you want to have spelled out what happens in certain instances so both parties feel like they're being treated fairly when right. it comes time to make a change. Right. So I remember a sad case where the you know, the entrepreneur, the moving spirit, the genius of the business had two really good friends and he brought them in from the outset, and they were equal shareholders. And when the time came to make some hard business decisions, the primary, you know, the the founder got outvoted. Oh, no. He got outvoted on everything. Pretty soon he got ousted. (laughs) He was the brainchild. (laughs) Yeah, and it was just... Totally it was unfair. his genius, okay. But, but, but the genius of the business was not reflected in the governing documents. Oh. And, and, and this was a corporation where three stockholders all have equal vote, and most decisions were majority vote in, the, in their so, governing documents. Third, a third, and a third it just took two of them to gang up. So you need to be careful if oh, yeah. you're the founder yeah. to build in protections, not to guarantee you in case of bad performance, but you want right. to have it there to protect you in case all of a sudden they don't, for some reason, don't like That's you. That's right. Yeah, who okay. brought who to the dance? Let's right. just try to remember that and, try to and build establish in that loyalty up front and build in the protections right. for you. So then it's well worth it. Let's talk about estate planning, that's a lot more sophisticated. 
and probably not necessary early on, but there are things you can do mm-hmm. early on. Let's talk about just some real quick and briefly what can be done as far as ownership, as far as potentially certain, you mentioned some family members where mm-hmm. their interest can start early on when the business has no value. Right. And then their ownership can be held in a not a less sophisticated trust than, say, a grantor retained annuity right. trust. And then the value of their interest grows, but it grows outside of my estate. So right. I'm not, you know, right. the founder, I'm not paying that tax to transfer it to them again someday. Right. And it's very simple. Uh, in either a corporation or a limited liability company, usually, to say, well, the startup value of the company is very low. It, you know, we will, we will make it grow fast, but today, for gift tax consequences, it's it's easily absorbed. There right. are it's negligible. Negligible, especially in light of the two. Now, this is kind of. I'm a tax lawyer, and I'm, I'm watch my lips. I'm going to say good tax laws. <laughs> yes, there are. There two, are some, huh? Yeah, in the gift tax arena, and the first good law is called the annual exclusion. This is currently fifteen thousand dollars per person per year. So I can give that much to children, ch- grandchildren, and right. and, and it there's disappears no, from the system. There's no tax ever. There may be income tax on the income from that someday, right. but me giving it to them doesn't generate a tax That's right. liability. And it need not sh- trigger the filing of a gift tax return oh, either. even better, not having to file a separate tax return. That's right. Now, second good gift tax rule is called the exemption amount. And leave it to Congress to say exclusion for one thing and exemption for another. Okay. You know, those are synonyms, right? Right. Okay. So what <laughs> but, is that today? But, but the longer word exemption is for a larger benefit, but it's a one-time lifetime uh, opportunity. Currently, it's $11,580,000 per person that you... Right. So if I'm single yeah. parent and I've got three children, if my business is worth more than $11 million and I pass away, it's potent, potentially my children may have to I pay did. estate tax above the value of the $11 million. That's right. In the case of my painting business, $20 million. Right. So about half gets death taxed. Now, current law... So that would be $11 right. million. That'd be nine million dollars, so four and a half million. But where are they going to come up with the money to pay it without without killing the business? Right, right, terrible. Okay. So that's why you need to be later in other stages of your business. You need to start looking at these potentials. Otherwise, your children may end up having to be forced to sell the business right. to be able to pay the tax. Right. Now let's let's uh, kind of reveal the date of our conversation. When we said current law, we were talking October of the year twenty twenty. And it's not without possibility of a smaller number in the near future. Right. Um, Congress sets this magic happy number. Right. And Based Congress, on how much money they want to try to collect to reduce the deficit in any given year. There's deficit issues. There's philosophy issues. There's certainly party line issues that could make this number bigger or smaller depending on who's writing the law 
Right. So who's in the, in the near future? So who's controlling Congress? Right. Okay. Now, historically, this gift tax exemption amount, and like you were saying, it's the same number for death tax exemption amount, uh, has not always been big. I mean, eleven right. million is pretty big. I remember when I started in business, it was like five hundred thousand or a million. Yes. And, and I can top that. When I started, it was $175,000. <laughs> so it's really gone up. Yeah, it, it's gone crazy. It's gone uh, generally up over the last 30 years. But there's, um, in, in current law, without further action by Congress, in the year 2026, we'll shrink that magic number basically to half, really? maybe $6 million. So it's kind of got a sunset. So you yes. need to really do some planning. You don't just right. plan for the current amount. You need to look to. Right. And no one knows when they're going to die, right? And, <laughs> That's right. And so it's a hard one to plan for, but you have to get someone sophisticated like you to look at strategically what are the different scenarios right. and how do we protect the family business that's generated the income and the wealth for the family so that it's not at risk of having to be sold, not necessarily involuntary, but in, in an inopportune time right. to pay right. that. And I know there's some laws built around a family business that there are ways you can finance that tax liability, but yeah, there are, still, if you have a chance to minimize it, it's better <laughs> than financing the payment of it. Right. So uh, you you are correct. There is such a code section as, co as 6166, and, and take out the one there, and it's a six. Yeah, it's, it's the devil because you are making the IRS your first foremost creditor. Is that a solution that you want to make as an inheritance gift to your children? I can't imagine that my children yeah. would be very happy with you. Yeah, Let's think twice about leaving them the devil. Okay, <laughs> so. great. Well, I appreciate the insight. I think we've covered very extensively the types of entities, and I think we've really come to the conclusion that an LLC offers a lot of flexibility that will allow for you having to incur uh, traps unexpectedly as you as you grow. And so you don't, as you start as a corporation, McKay talked about how you could fall into the trap of having to move from a corporation to an LLC. And but, but we probably ought to at least make brief mention of of the popular and appropriate place for S corporations. Okay. Professional businesses, accounting, engineering, law. Exactly. These companies, these businesses have very little capital growth. They're service businesses. And you, you run them with the goal of making money and taking money out. Right. You're not trying so that's to, the professional corporation concept. Right. Okay. Now, in the S-corporation world, this difference between wages and profits is huge because wages attract your Medicare and Social Security taxes. Right, which can be 15... 15.3%. 15 right. Now... On top of the income tax. On top of the income tax. And and in the S-corporation world, the, uh, the analog to self-employment is, uh, is inescapable. In the sole proprietor or self-employment world, your Social Security taxes are 15.3%. Right. For the most part. 
Right. So there's no now, there's no way to kind of shelter that. But in right. S corporation, you can. Well, in the first instance, the S corporation pays wages instead of draws. Right. There's actual wages. You have to do withholding, withholding and matching taxes, and the combination is fifteen point three percent for a, for a, you know for employer a lot of cases. And employee share, right? And and if I'm the sole shareholder, like I was. It didn't matter where my corporation was paying a matching tax and I was paying the other half of a matching it's tax. It's still the same amount. Yeah, it's still the same amount and still was, you know, so we say blood out of my system. Okay. <laughs> but, um, but, but in the S corporation world and in the professionals, if you can have a business where sources of profits are attributable to the labors of others, right? Right. Then you have a hygienist that does cleaning, right. and you just come in and inspect after. There's there's profit over and above what you're charging, what, right. what you're paying for the labor and the That's use right. of the chair. Right. And so fundamentally, the S corporation rule says one of the hard rules is you must pay your shareholders reasonable compensation for the services they perform. Right. So the dentist takes a reasonable wage, and reasonable means what would the best way to answer that question is, would I work for this amount of money if I weren't the boss? Okay. Now, that's the fair, upfront way of answering the question of reasonable. Okay. Okay. Something that's competitive for the work you do and the work you and the pay you would insist on elsewhere. So if you have hygiene assistants or, or employees of any kind and you bill their time out, and you have, and you make sure that you run your business well, and they are profit centers. You pay yourself a reasonable wage for the work you did. The business has profits attributable to work they did. To work they did. Now that sets up an opportunity to have. I pay matching taxes on my wages, but I don't pay these matching taxes on the profits above and beyond wages paid to so others. So you don't have this unlimited situation That's of right. Social Security and Medicare That's right. taxes heaping on top of your That's wage. Right. Because in a sole proprietorship, all of the profits of the work of others comes to you as self-employment, taxable income, your toast. Right. In an S corporation, where you can legitimately separate your profits and reasonable compensation from the success of the business from other sources, now you can make those, uh, you know, you get paid on that extra $100,000. You'll right. get taxed on that extra $100,000. And if you take it out, it's not taxed as payroll taxes. And this is what I love about yeah. McKay, because I almost summarized this and left out a big pool of people that this really will apply to. And I think yeah. many of you or our listeners, if you're a professional, you need to look at the S corporation, but generally the LLC. In right. the case of a professional, consider the S corporation. You can always go from an LLC if you have big plans to require venture capital and convert to a C corporation. It's a lot harder right. to go the other way around. And I think he's done a good job helping us understand that. And then we have estate and asset protection planning that would involve trusts and there are ways to set up some simple things early on to transfer some ownership in the in the early stages of a business that that can transfer 
some of the value down the road, but not necessarily the control as the business right. grows to eliminate the need if something happened to you unexpectedly of the business having to be liquidated to pay estate taxes. And I think that's the essence of what we wanted to talk to you about today, because I think often we're so excited to get into business that we think, oh, we're going to do really well, that we don't think about some of these unexpected consequences are not things we read about in the newspaper every day, but they are tragedies. They're tragedies that happen, and I'm sure they've knocked on your door many a time. Yeah. Here's what's happened. What do we do about it? And uh, again, I think McKay said it earlier, an ounce of prevention is worth the pound of cure. And, and so I would say as part of starting a business, at least seek some competent advice. Uh, look for, uh, we, I think McKay shared some good secrets today of what to look for and what to consider so that from the myriad of options out there, you can kind of hone in fairly quickly. And I know they represent his preferences. You may find people with differing opinions, but for him to be in practice for how many years now? More than 30. More than 30 years. I think he has brings a lot of wisdom and is continuing to practice and stays current. So I'm grateful that he would be our guest today. My pleasure. Always a pleasure. It's uh, I've benefited in many ways, and so has my family. And I you know, I tend to bring people on as guests in the show who I have a personal relationship with because I know their credibility. They've usually made a big difference in my life. And I think he said it early on, he's in the service business. He's here to make people happy. And the way you make people happier is if they can hang on to more of their money from income taxes and hang on to more of their assets as they grow by limiting their liability. Right. Uh, limiting their exposure to the liability in ways that are provided for and that are prudent, um, I think we'd be well advised to heed his advice and counsel. Thank you, McKay. Again, my pleasure. This is Craig Willett, the Biz Sherpa. Thanks for joining us for this episode today. Be sure to go to our website to access the resources related to this episode at www.bizsherpa.co. If you enjoyed this show, tell your friends about us and be sure to rate our podcast. Craig would like to hear from you, so share your thoughts in the Facebook community at bizsherpa.co. Follow us on Twitter at bizsherpa underscore co and on Instagram at bizsherpa.co.